Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Baseball in progress. Dodgers leading Atlanta 1-0 in the top of the fourth. And as we were interviewing... Zach Kalaros from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers walk off home run for the Astros. They beat Tampa Bay 4-3. Tampa Bay still leads the series, though, three games to two. And uh, that Dodgers and Atlanta series is 2-1 in favor of the Braves. Dodgers do have the lead. Not as big a one as they had early in yesterday's game where they got 11 runs in the first inning. Really appreciate you tuning in tonight. Uh, Tough news for you sports today. That's uh, the Canadian University Sports Organization. They will not proceed with any national championships. And then Canada West Conference announcing that they will not start the season in January. So what had happened was the U of A, first of all, had pulled out of all sports for the entire year. Uh, Canada West said they would like to play after Christmas. They, They had a date earlier this month to make an announcement. They pushed that back to early November. In the meantime... Golden Bears hockey and Pandas hockey got funding to have a season. So they would have started in January, but then U sports today says we can't do any national championships. So then Canada West says, well, we're not going to do any sports. That's kind of a Coles notes of everything that happened. So that's tough. Uh, No uh, university athletics uh, really well in, in the West and uh, most of the country for this season. Meanwhile, with the Western Hockey League, we have a target date, and that date is January 8th to get the season going. Ron Robison, the commissioner of the WHL, offered some details today, said he would like to play 50 games. The Memorial Cup is on the schedule for mid-January, or for mid-June, pardon me. We don't know how the uh, the playoffs would look in the WHL. They, uh, you know, want to kind of limit travel but yet limit overnight stays at the same time and the Alberta teams would only play in Alberta so that's how it's going to be for Brent Sutter and his Red Deer Rebels. Brent welcome back to Inside Sports you're on with Reed how are you doing? I'm doing good Reed thank you. Yeah thanks for checking in uh you know we usually have uh you or Cam Moon or a player or two to talk hockey we're talking some off-ice stuff today. Uh, first of all, just kind of your impression of how this this led to this January 8th target date. How are you feeling about it? Well, you know, it's been a it's been a process. It's like anything else. It's our whole world has been dealing with. But uh, you know, it's been there's been a lot of a lot of communication, obviously, from um, Ron and certain personnel around the league with governments, uh, six jurisdictions, whether it's Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, uh, BC, and then you got, of course, Washington State and Oregon. And, you know, we just, yesterday we came to a decision that, uh, you know, that uh, there has been some progress made in, uh, in uh, obviously in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and uh, discussions are still ongoing there, and there's certainly discussions ongoing with, uh, with their own province here in Alberta, and along with BC and Washington, Oregon. So, we, you know, we made a decision that, uh, you know, January date is certainly a 
dates now that we're going to target. Um, but obviously, it's still with lots of communication with the provinces and the two states. And, uh, you know, we're certainly hopeful that we can get going then, and that's our goal. And uh, whether it's with fans or maybe without fans. So we just got to see how our discussions are and see where, you know, where health ministers in our provinces are at. You know, they've been outstanding with uh, communication and um, the dialogue has been very, very good. Um, so, you know, we just got to see where it goes. But our, our goal is to, to get going on the 8th of January. We had to have something for our players. Uh, you know, it, it's their careers, right? And that's, uh, you know, it's about developing and uh, them wanting to get on to their next level, whether it's professional sports or CIS schools or whatever. And so we got to do everything we can to try to have a season. And, um, you know, so this is a stage we're at. And now the communication will continue with the, with the provinces and the two states and see where it goes. In terms of not having fans, Brent, like, is that is that viable for the league and for the Rebels specifically to, to do that? I mean, could you can it work financially or are there risks perhaps to some franchises if you can't have fans at all? Well, obviously you don't have fans. It's, you know, it makes it really tough financially, no question for every team. Um, you know, so, you know, there's no revenue coming in. And uh, so we just got to, you know, we got to see where it all goes. And, uh, you know, and hopefully we get to a point where we're having some kind of capacity in our building. So, but, you know, again, that's, let's just wait and see how this all unfolds. How has it been keeping in touch with your players? I don't know if you've been able to do any virtual online trainings, uh, meetings. What are you doing in that capacity? All of that. You know, we've had a lot of once a week. Uh, there's been uh, uh, from in, in Red Deer, we've had our uh, our coaches and our, uh, and our fitness people uh, communicating with their players uh, uh, where they do a Zoom call and go through each week what we're going to be doing and how we're going to do it um you know and some guys have gyms at home some guys are able to get to some some different you know maybe it's neighbors uh downstairs gyms or you know maybe it's something that uh, they can just do at home or you know whatever so we're we're, we're certainly been uh, a lot of communication with the players on that end of it and then uh you know and then for myself uh just been so busy with working with the league and the CHL to see where this is all going to go, trying to get back to playing. But, you know, but uh, coaches have, and nephew Sean, who's my assistant GM, has been communicating a, a lot with the players. And, um, and I touch base with them every while, just make sure everything is going exactly the way they want it and the way it needs to be at this point in time. Obviously, they're, they're having a, you know, it's been a, been hard for them no question about you know the players and uh yeah no one right and so as it is for everybody else but uh you know but they 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 got good heads on their shoulders uh you know again they've been totally updated on everything to this whole process uh um and they've been updating their parents so we've been uh we've been having a lot of a lot of good communication with uh with the players from the from the organization all right. Brent Sutter joining us on Inside Sports, president, GM, head coach of the uh, Red Deer Rebels, WHL shooting for a January 8th return. Are your, and, and Ron sort of touched on it today, 
but are we looking at okay if the rebels might have to play lethbridge 10 times like you yeah. might could could you spend six days in lethbridge and play four games like is that probably what the schedule is going to look like or am i getting no, ahead of myself it, yeah no that they're all not we're trying to minimize obviously travel and uh our expenses so um you know they're we're doing this to have no over to you know obviously that we can't move outside our provinces and so we have to play uh within our province this current would move to to saskatchewan they'd have seven teams with winnipeg and brand and the two provinces there working together so um and bc would just stay in bc and um you know and uh you know there there would not be any overnight stays it'll be you know go play and maybe you'll play the team that next night in your building um oh. so no one's staying no one's staying overnight right there you know we still got to sort through the schedule um you know our goal is to trade you know hopefully get to 50 games but you know it might be less than that too just seeing where it all goes and uh you know seeing if whether we can have any kind of a, you know attendance at all will we'll determine what are well, how many games we're going to play really that's probably it at the end of the day okay so if there was a series against the team though it would probably be a home and home as opposed to you staying in a city for multiple days yeah, that's for sure. That, that we, okay. we're not going to be. Uh, yeah, we're not going to be uh, having uh, teams with the expense factor to have to stay in hotels and stuff like that. And uh, it's you're better off to get back into your bubble. And uh, and then if you're playing that team, play them home and home. And then uh, and you know, and you're whether you're playing two or three games a week. I you know and. You know, really, at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to matter which which days of the week you, you play because it's your capacity is going to be, you know, going to be minimal. So, uh, at any at all, so we just got to we got to manage that yet, and we still got to go through it all and and figure it all out. And obviously, the you know we'll know more as we go along here with our communication with the governments and the health ministers and uh, and how a schedule can work and how it can. Uh, and how the protocols would be that's that's very very important too the schedule is just one thing it's mm-hmm. the protocols and and we've uh we've implemented some really really strong ones and uh we'll get some help from medical people on it and how to do it and uh you know and i think that it's been it's been uh you know i think well received by the governments and the health ministers and we're working with them to try and make it right Brent, I want to just touch on a couple other things with you. Uh, of course, uh, the majority of your National Hockey League playing career is with the New York Islanders. You won a couple of Stanley Cups. Uh, the Islanders had their best playoff run since 1993, which was uh, shortly after you, you were uh, traded from the Islanders to the Chicago Blackhawks. But, I mean, the, the entire 1980s for you with the Islanders. I, I know it probably seems like a lifetime ago, but is there a soft spot still for you with the Islanders? Was there any... Uh, joy for you in seeing that team do well, or, or are you too far removed from it? No, obviously, you know it's uh, for sure. I mean, I, you know, when you play for an organization as long as I did, and I know it's changed ownership and uh, uh, and so forth. A lot of things have changed over the years, but uh, uh, you know, you're still you're still loyal to that team, and uh, uh, you still want to see be successful. Uh, you know, they got you know their fan base is is great. Uh, uh, you know, very very supportive fans. Uh, you know, you look at the job Lou's done there as the general manager going in there, and the job Trotsky's done going in as coach. And um, you know, and they've 
assemble a really strong team. And um, so, yeah, you, you certainly are pulling for them and you're hoping they do well and you want them to see do well. And so, you know, it's uh, it's all part of when you play for someone. You know, I played there for 10 years and 10, just over 10 years and played in Chicago over seven years. So, uh, you know, those two teams uh, are certainly teams that when you played there, and you're very loyal to those organizations. Uh, you want them to continue to be successful. And I guess from a Western Conference uh, perspective, of course, there is a young man with the last name Sutter on the <laughs> the Vancouver Canucks, and uh, yeah. they did okay. They 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 pushed Vegas. Didn't did weren't quite able to get it done in the end. Uh, but what did you think of the Canucks playoff run and uh, of Brandon's contributions? Well, it was a great. You know, it was a great run for them and a great experience for a lot of those young players to go through it and what it takes to play off hockey. Um, you know, so it's, you know, to get through that, everything you go through is uh, beneficial, just not today, but down the road for them too. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a big step for them. Um, you know, they hadn't been in playoffs for a while. So it was, uh, I know players and staff were all very excited about being in playoffs, and uh, and I thought they handled themselves very well. I think mean, Vegas was a strong team, and I think their experience um, uh, certainly showed in that series. And uh, you know they were just probably the, at the end of the day the better team won the series. But the experience that the Canucks went through uh, would be nothing but beneficial for them all. And uh, you know Brandon got an opportunity where he's finally healthy. And I think he showed what type of player he is when he is healthy. And I thought he played very well in the playoffs and down the stretch. Uh, or, the, you know, that those that series leading into the into playoffs. Uh, so, you know, I uh, you know I was happy for him. It's uh, you know it's had a lot of injuries the last three years, and uh, and they've been injuries that you can't prevent. Like you don't can't prevent sport sport injuries. You can't prevent you know a puck hitting you in the face and breaking your jaw and you know and so it's those types of injuries that are it's unfortunate and uh but you know i thought he was and from what he was saying he was he felt really good and uh he finally felt healthy and uh so i you know i was happy for him and you know he was able to contribute in more the way he would like to so um so it was all good but same time i mean every player wants to win right so uh win a Stanley cup but a tough thing you know when you're in that bubble and you have to be like get all the way to the finals like Dallas did and then you get beat out that's uh that's a real tough one right so but as far as Canucks go you know I thought they did very well Brent it's always great to have you on the show thanks for updating us on on the story here with the WHL and your perspective on the on the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, we love talking to you hopefully once we get into the new year we're, we're talking about games and all the ups and downs of the seasons we really appreciate it yeah, you bet, Reed. Thanks a million, bud. That is Brent Sutter checking in tonight, who is the GM coach, president of uh, the Red Deer Rebels. So, yeah, that January 8th target date, and as he said, they're, they're, they actually want to cut down on travel and, and staying over. So I was wondering, okay, if the Oil Kings go play Lethbridge, do you go there for a weekend and play three games in four days? And as Brent said, probably not. Uh, you know, a team might go down, play the other team, and then they, they both head back to the to the other city and, and play again the next day or a couple of days later. So it seems like that's how the WHL is leaning. Good to catch up with Brent. And uh, yeah, hopefully that January 8th date holds strong for the Western Hockey League. We're back after the break.
right. Marv has texted 780-496-0063. says, hey, Reed, happy to hear Brent Sutter on the show. I live just outside Red Deer. Usually go to about half dozen Rebels games per year. Hopefully there are fans in the building and they start up in early January. That is from Marv to the text line. Uh, the Big L also writing in. I, I read an email from uh, someone named Mark earlier in the show who said that uh, he likes seeing Mike Smith come back. Well, here's the, I got the email. This is what Mark wrote. Smith uh, earned a contract with the beating he gave Talbot, and people should leave Darnell Nurse alone. He's a very good defenseman that we would have a hard time replacing. I'm a diehard Oilers fan for life. Holland and Tippett equal the Stanley Cup. Uh, the Big L has written in a response to that. He says, uh, Reed, I loved Mark's enthusiasm. However, unless Holland can play goal at 920 for three quarters of the games and Tippett can successfully play one of the wings for McDavid, the coach and GM don't add up to a cup win. Still need to plug some holes on that roster and need the cap space to do it. That is from the Big L. By the way, I, I talked to a couple of people today. The KJM called in last night. KJM, I don't know if you're tuning in today, but saying could the Oilers acquire you know somebody like Nathan Horton and put him on long-term injured reserve and then that would free up a little more money once you get into the season. Um, you know, I was told by a couple of people who would know about this that that really wouldn't make sense to do that. And if they do put Oscar Clefbaum on long-term injured reserve, if they have to do that, the Oilers wouldn't do that till they send in their opening day roster because then that maximizes the amount of cap relief. But you know, generally, I was told it wouldn't make a lot of sense for a team to acquire a player just to put them on long-term injured reserve. I guess Toronto kind of did that in the past. There were some circumstances there that made that unique and it was able to make them work. And don't forget, you still have to pay the player in terms of real dollars. And if you're the owner of an NHL team, and sure, you're, you might be a billionaire, but do you want to pay a player a few million dollars knowing he's never going to play, that he's just there to possibly create room for other guys? So anyway, that's probably very unlikely for the Oilers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, there's a little Van Halen. I'm sure a lot of people spinning their CDs, cassettes, streaming Eddie and the Boys ever since we lost Eddie. Dodgers and Braves tied 1 1 in the fifth. And earlier, Houston beat Tampa Bay 4-3 with a walk-off homer, so they stay alive. Tampa Bay still up 3-2 in the series. No Thursday night football. That game pushed back because uh, the uh, the Bills were supposed to play in it, and they just played the Titans on uh, on Tuesday. So the, the NFL has had to move some things around. Reed Wilkins with you. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. 780-496-0063 is how you can reach me on the text line or by calling inside sports at 630 chedcom is the email. I mentioned got an email from Mark earlier in the show. 
Okay, well, I, I, this this next guest I, I'm always thrilled to talk to. I first uh, enjoyed his writing when he uh, wrote for Sports Illustrated. His ninth book is called Three Ring Circus. Uh, his other work, Gunslinger, about Brett Favre, Football for a Buck, about the USFL. That's an absolute beauty. Uh, boys will be boys about the Dallas Cowboys. So much great stuff. It is Jeff Perlman back on Inside Sports. Jeff, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Can we just talk about Van Halen? Yeah, we can a little bit. What's your favorite album? Ah, man, it's probably 1984 because it was so instrumental as a kid. And um, I also, what I love about Eddie Van Halen that I feel like a lot of people, maybe they learned this week, is that he did the guitar solo in Michael Jackson's Beat It. And it's just a great little guitar, you know, run that Eddie Van Halen did. He was uncredited. He's not in the video. It only came out later. Yeah, I was this. There are very few guitars who you hear, and you know they're the guitars, and he's that rare guy. So big, uh, big loss in the music world. Yeah, big loss. Uh, you know, I'm a big Van Halen fan. One of my best friends who uh, I, I met in university, and our first conversation started was because he was wearing a Van Halen shirt in a class we were in together, and that set off what is now a 30-year friendship. So that's pretty cool. And I, uh, I assume you know about the Canadian band Our Lady Peace. We had the former drummer of the show on uh, Jeremy Taggart uh, last week, and they opened for Van Halen when they were touring for, on, for Balance in 1985. And I asked about the relationship with uh, Sammy and Ed, and he said, "Yeah, they were already done. Like they knew Sammy was leaving. They they weren't speaking. So it's amazing, you know. They still put out Balance, which is a pretty good album, and had an extended tour, and the relationship was pretty much already done." Did you own the Gary Sharon uh, Van Halen three? I think it was. Did you? Buy I that? bought it. I bought it the day it came out, Jeff. I don't. I think I only listened to it twice, front to back. It is not strong. It wasn't the best. It wasn't the best. <laughs> but, but I do. I I got CDs somewhere in the house. I I do have it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, I got to ask you? I, we've done. You're usually on the show every year or two. If if there's something I I see you writing about that sparks my interest, or when you're cranking out a book, I think we've talked to you when you've been in uh, New York. I think we've talked to you when you've been in L.A. Where where are you right now? Well, I live in Orange County, so I'm an hour south of L.A. I'm literally outside Ralph's supermarket as we speak, so I can give you the play-by-play of my grocery list if you'd like. <laughs> That's amazing. You're fitting me in, in grocery. I, I feel bad now. I'm upsetting your domestic Don't routine. Don't feel bad. It makes it interesting. Um, also, turkey's on sale. So sliced turkey's on sale, so everything's good. Well, see, we just had Thanksgiving. As you know, we Canadians do it a little earlier. So, man, I wish yeah. you'd told me that. You could have sent me up a cheap turkey. <laughs> no, it's deli meat turkey. It's not It's not. A, oh. it's not a big turkey. It's just deli meat. So, but they put a lot of chemicals into it, and it, so I feel like it could last for a while. What, I'm here to here's help a, you, Reed. Whatever I can do for you. <laughs> what, what percentage of Americans are aware that Canadians celebrate Thanksgiving six weeks before they do? Oh, 3%. Max. <laughs> But you knew it. Um, I did, but I can't say I could give you the date. So I'm not. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to be all. You know. I don't want to. I don't want to make myself sound smarter than I am. I'm not that smart. <laughs> well, you 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 fake it well enough to have written some pretty entertaining books. So let's uh, let's Thank let's you. go there. Uh, Three Ring Circus is the latest one. Let me start here though, because a few years ago. You wrote Showtime, which was about the 1980s Lakers, and, and I love going through that era. 
Um, and, and I know this is a different era of the Lakers, but was there any reluctance on your part to go to go back to the Lakers or, or tell me about the idea for this book? Um, there was actually. I didn't I didn't love the idea of doing another book on the same topic. You know, I like diversifying and I like like I don't do books because I love a sport or I love a franchise. I do books because I think the ideas are good and maybe the characters are good. So it wasn't like I was like, oh, I can't wait to do another Laker book. But I just really thought Shaq, Kobe, Phil Jackson, the Bus family, Jerry West, they're just a lot of great characters. It's a big market team, so you, your sales potential is good. I mean, you obviously think about that. So uh, that was it. But I was in no, I didn't need to do a Laker book. It wasn't like I felt connected to the Lakers in any great way. So did, did someone, did someone kind of spark you for this, or was it this or something else? I'm just wondering how this is the idea where you actually start doing the interviews and writing stuff. Well, you know, as you mentioned, my last book was about the USFL, and I think I almost gave my agent a heart attack by pushing that book because the sales potential were not the... You know, it wasn't, uh, wasn't a Woodward topic, you know, so it wasn't like it was going to be just this huge seller. And you, know, you do think, you, you, you have to think about your career a little bit. So you think about what, um, you know, what subjects can sell and, and generate interest. And I just, I just find Shaq one of the most fascinating characters ever. And I was really interested in Kobe. I can't say I find... I can't say I was riveted by Kobe Warren entering this project the way I was Shaq, but I thought the dynamic between the two of them was really fascinating. And, um, you know, I just I just sort of, I just thought, all right, this is a good topic. But it wasn't like anyone was pushing for it. Definitely wasn't like my agent was like, you should do. My agent never says, like, you should do. I usually just I'll give ideas and then we'll talk about it. And I brought this one up and he was all, he was good with it. Um, so, I mean, we lost Kobe, obviously, in the spring. So you had, he, he's uh, an interview subject in the book. You were able to sit down with him? I did not. I got uh, Shaq at length. I got Phil Jackson at super length. And Kobe was the one guy I didn't get. And um, I was told very early on that I would not be able to get him. And that he's kind of guarded. And I also think, um, you know, the whole Eagle, Colorado sexual assault situation is a pretty big part of that period. Because I write about 96 to 04. And I think the idea of rehashing that was not one he particularly relished, which I understand, obviously. So, uh, I, you know, I interviewed about 300 people, but Kobe Bryant was not one of the 300. Oh, interesting. How, how, how challenging is that when, because I think Favre didn't, did, did Favre wind up declining to talk to you for Gunslinger as well? Like, how challenging yeah, is that to not I get it. a... I, it's, um, I got all of Favre's, pretty much everyone in Favre's family, but not Favre. Um, it sort of motivates you. You know, number one, you can't get mad about it because nobody owes you their time. I always say, like, you're Kobe Bryant. You don't have a great motivation to talk to me. You're not going to make any money off of it. You're not going to have any say in the book. You know, like, you don't get to see it before it comes out. I never get mad about it. But um, when they don't talk, though, there's something inside of I think most writers, we are just like, all right, well, to hell with it. I'm just going to go harder than I even started going, and I'm just going to bring it as hard as I can, and I'm going to write my butt off. I'm going to report my butt off. So um, that's kind of what I did. You know, I just kind of went hard and reported my butt off. So, and look, I, I, I'm, I'm going to read the book, and I know you want other people to get it and read it, but I, but I do want to tease a little bit. The Shaq-Kobe relationship in that era, was it was it strained? Was there jealousy? What did you find out? So I would love to be the guest who's like, I can't talk about any of that. You have to buy the book. Imagine that. <laughs> 
Are there people who do that? I don't even know. I, I'm, that's not me. Um, it was super strange. It was, um, you know, Kobe arrived um, out of high school, and he's at his first, he's at his first uh, Laker practice. Like, they all get together in 96. They're in Hawaii. It's training camp. Kobe shows up. It's a team with Shaq and, like, Nick Van Exel and Eddie Jones and, you know, a lot of veteran kind of guys. And they all go around and they introduce themselves. And when it gets to Kobe, he says, hey, I'm Kobe, Lower Marion High School. Nobody here is going to punk me. Like, that was his introduction to the Lakers. And they're like, who the hell is this guy? So um, Shaq never took to it. And Shaq really wanted guys. Like, what Shaq wanted was people to sort of embrace him and confide in him. You know, like, he just was a really warm guy. And Kobe had no interest in that. Just didn't do it for him. So um, I just think it was never really meant to be a great relationship, and it certainly was not. Interesting. Jeff Perlman joining us tonight Inside Sports. The new book is Three Ring Circus, uh, and we look forward to seeing this. Uh, what about what, what about Phil Jackson? Because well, I'm trying to remember. I mean, this was almost 20 years ago. It, it, you're, you could totally correct me, but I, I feel like if I go in my memory banks, the storyline was that it was always Phil Jackson's last year, and then he would come back, and then that was going to be his last year. My, is that vaguely true, what I'm recalling? Well, I'm going to say two things about that. Number one, eggnog is on sale for five ninety nine, but I think it's way too early for eggnog, so I'm going to pass. <laughs> and number two, I would disagree with that statement because uh, okay. I don't think that's really true. I mean, he, he he basically he really struggled with um, Kobe. Like he never was the problem. With, he just got frustrated a lot. It was a frustrating time to be a legal coach. You know, like he, when he coached the Bulls, you always knew. The pecking order. Jordan was number one. Pippen was number two. Pippen was never trying to be Jordan. He showed up with the Lakers, and here's Shaq, who's clearly the, the centerpiece, the main man. We're going to build around this guy. Everything is around Shaq. But Kobe doesn't want that. And he used to drive Phil Jackson absolutely insane. You know, like we're running the triangle. Well, maybe we're running the triangle. We're running the triangle, and Kobe wants to be a part of the triangle. But this was really, really frustrating. So it's not that he was uh, planning on leaving every year. I just think every year, at the end, by the end of the season, he needed a lot of drinks because it, it, Kobe could I'm not trying to speak ill of the dead. Obviously, Kobe was a, a really impressive person and with an amazing career and amazing family, but he was not an easy guy to coach for a lot of that time, and I think it, it exasperated Phil Jackson. So the Lakers just won the title again. You know, LeBron went to L.A. and, and gets another title for that franchise. And, um, you know, what it had been a decade, which I guess in, in Lakerland is a long time between championships. And, and Jeff, I'll just throw this to you. Uh, I've, I've read it and heard it said, maybe even you were the first person to say it, I'm not sure, that the history of the NBA is really the history of the Lakers and the Celtics. Uh, how true is that? Uh, number one, I never said that, but if you want to credit it to me, I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, I would say that's you can certainly make an argument, a case, but certainly the, the modern post 1980 history is Lakers, Celtics, Bulls. Um, yeah, I think you can make a case. I actually thought, you know, it's funny. I was taking a walk with my wife the other day. She's not a huge sports fan, and um, she was like, "Do you think Jeannie Bus feels less about the season because you know it was a shortened season and the bubble, no home games?" And I actually said the opposite. I was like, you know what? This is probably the most impressive season you're ever going to see from a team. They, all the things they had to go through, playing in the bubble, not being around family, no home cooking, no home court, all the strife, the awkwardness and weirdness of playing through COVID. I think it's one of the most impressive seasons ever. I really do. Like, I think of all the things LeBron has done, this is the capper. Like, this is like, he guided this team 
at age 35 in a bubble to the NBA championship. I think it's remarkable. And someone, not me, someone who is there, will write a great book about this season. Well, maybe you. That'd be good. <laughs> I wasn't at the bubble. I think it has to be someone who was there, to be honest. And like, oh, fair. Fair enough. A couple more for you, Jeff. And I know you got to get the rest of your, your groceries here and maybe even stock up on eggnog to be prepared. Uh, look, and I, I ask you this every time you're on. I mean, you're such a great writer. You tell interesting stories. You inject a lot of humor into your into your work, which I like. When is the hockey book coming? Can you can you find a hockey topic that will sell for all us? Like you'd sell thirty million copies in Canada. <laughs> now I know you asked me this last time I was on the show, and the answer is the same. If you want to pay me money to write the Pat Flatley Pat Lafontaine book about their time together with the Islanders, I'm all in. But otherwise. I'm just holding out for that subject. Pat, Pat Flatley arrives. Pat LaFontaine arrives. They're both on the Islanders post-Dynasty. It's a, it's a million-selling bestseller waiting to happen, but nobody will give me a deal. Otherwise, no. I, I don't have a hockey book in me. Why is it those two players? Why is it those guys? <laughs> because I remember being a kid and thinking, oh, they have the same first name. That's kind of interesting. That's all I got. <laughs> My hockey knowledge is almost zero. It is almost, okay. I remember David Bullock, Pat Flatley, and Pat LaFontaine, and that's about it. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so, uh, well, I, we appreciate you coming on in Edmonton. Here's the last, like a good interview, uh, Jeff. I've okay. saved the question that might make you hang up till the end. Great. <laughs> and, and since, you know a lot, since you know a lot about basketball, uh, better player, LeBron or Jordan? Okay, first I want to say, You'll be happy to know that Betty Crocker Super Moist Cake is, is on sale three for five dollars. Second of all, I have to go Jordan. Uh, although my my all time greatest player is actually Kareem. I think a lot of people forget the dynasty, the you know, dominance of that guy's life. But I just when I watched the uh, the Last Dance, I was just reminded how ridiculous Jordan was and how he. The thing is, like, and I'm not saying LeBron. I don't think that LeBron deserves any criticism for this. I really don't. But like. Yeah, Pippen was really good. But, man, Jordan was doing that with a lot of, like, you know, Steve Kerr's and Will Perdue's and Bill Wennington's. And, like, those teams, they were not loaded teams. They had two great players. Pippen, I think, was a very, very good player. I don't know if he was an all-time great. So I just think he was never going around picking his teammates. You know, I don't know. I just think Jordan is, is I mean, to me, he's in a class above LeBron. And I think LeBron is amazing. Did uh, did Jerry Krause get a bad rap in the last dance? I mean, he's not around to yeah. defend himself for offer. No. Yeah, You know what it is? It was the meanness of Jordan that really bothered me. Like, why do you have to be that mean? I was at Jordan's Hall of Fame induction speech. It was the meanest, pettiest speech I've ever seen. Why do you have to do that? Why do you have to bring someone else down to feel good about yourself? Why do you have to remind people of someone else's shortcomings 15 years after you dealt with them? It's just totally unnecessary. I, I never understand that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Hey, I'll let you get back to the grocery shopping. Hope life in Orange County is good. Uh, Jeff Perlman, the new book is Three Ring Circus. It's now available, right? People can go and get it, get it for Christmas already? It is available for for Christmas and also uh, a belated Thanksgiving. For <laughs> there, there we go. Jeff, thanks for doing this, man. We'll talk down the road. All the best to you. Uh, all right, thank you so much. Take care. That is Jeff Perlman, uh, absolutely great writer. The books are uh, outstanding, and I love having him on the show. He always finds a way to be entertaining. Doing grocery shopping in Orange County, and he stops that to come on Inside Sports. Uh, i got a couple texts I want to catch up with uh, from John and Darren. 
appreciate those. I will read them aloud when we return. John writes in, he says, hello, my COVID coping NHL season ideas, maximize bubble opportunities, minimize travel, cycle through intra division round robins using as few venues as possible, avoiding disease hotspots. Eight round robins would be 48 games for Canada, uh, seven round robins, 49 games for American divisions, playoff ranking by win percentage. The Canadian division plays the central Eastern versus Western United States running the rinks and ticketing with one third capacity should be doable, would be tricky, but could be fun schedules. There's a thoughtful text coming in from John. Not sure that you're going to get players back into any form of bubbles, but uh, they might be able to figure something out. And uh, D, uh, this uh, texture says DH here. He says, you're not going to believe this, but I'm picking up Ched and listening to your show from Kitimat, BC. Amazing. And he says that is on the radio, not through satellite. Strong signal it is. Well, we got a, we got a strong signal. We, we basically, uh, like Brian Hall stands on the roof of the building and stretches, you know, with a little antenna a little further higher to give that signal a couple extra meters and boost it out a little further. That's my understanding of how radio transmitters work, Kellen. That's pretty close to how it. Yeah, really close, works. close enough. I mean, we got we got to sum it up. We <laughs> we got to sum it up for the purpose of brevity. But so I, no, appreciate you tuning in, DH. Hello, that's, that's good to hear from you. <laughs> Absolutely. I uh, hope your dad's okay, buddy. Yeah, uh, he uh, came home this afternoon. So uh, yeah, just long story short, my dad had a uh, pacemaker procedure done where they actually implanted a pacemaker uh, this morning. And uh, so far, so good. He's uh, When I left him this afternoon to come down here, uh, he was watching baseball. So things are oh, good. Oh, good man. Mm. Great, right on. Well, say hi to him for me for sure. Definitely. Okay. Braves lead the Dodgers 2-1 in the bottom of the sixth. The Braves are up 2-1 in the series. Houston with a walk-off homer, and they beat Tampa Bay 4-3 to stay alive. The Rays are still up 3-2 in the best of seven. Hey, really appreciate everybody tuning in tonight. You heard from Jack Michaels, Jeff Perlman, Brent Sutter, Zach Kalaros. Again, Perlman's new book about the Shaq Kobe Lakers three-ring circus. I'm going to have to pick that one up. Dave Campbell's the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy, your studio producer. My name's Reed. Have a great night. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.